Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Will Coleman, founder and CEO of Alto, and I built Alto to put an end to rideshare horror stories. You're used to the total lack of consistency in rideshare. Maybe it's a smelly car or a driver that asks just one too many personal questions. Not anymore. With Alto, you know exactly what to expect every ride. Every Alto driver is a trained Alto employee, and every Alto vehicle is part of our private fleet of luxury SUVs. Say goodbye to rideshare horror stories. Download the Alto app today and use code FOUNDER for $10 off your first ride. Mirror mine, mirror mine, you twist and turn my mind until I don't know who I am. Mirror mine. Good morning and welcome to my second cut of this podcast. I recorded it earlier and you know what? Recording sound is fucking annoying. Uh, I recorded part one, everything perfect. Then part two and part three, which were chunky, passionate, uh, and exciting. <laughs> Sounds like my brother. Um, it, 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 it went to shit. So we're, we're doing a round two. This time I'm going to um, support it by drinking a beer because I'm a little bit enraged and it will probably be a little bit more condensed. But I felt like we had to get a little podcast out because lots of things are happening at Arsenal at the moment that I wanted to talk about. Uh, and um, I'm excited. I'm excited about the future. And I'd rather be excited about the future before we go and play Leicester followed by Spurs at the weekend. This is my moment to to pretend the total vindication has come our way um, with regards to Arteta because he beat Wolves um, um, versus Sunday where I'm, you know, might be deleting my my blog and any tweets related to the progress that Arsenal are being made. Just kidding, of course, just kidding. But I did. Um, so let's uh, let, let's start on um, what's been going on over the last few weeks because I think we started off pretty badly. Um, the Manchester City game was not a great reflection on where we are as a club at the moment. Then Brighton, um, we definitely didn't do ourselves any favors. I thought Manchester City. It was kind of fair. Not many teams can lose two important players. Uh, inside the first 20 minutes and then Handel was sending off against, you know, the Premier League champions pretty much. Um, and the, the Brighton game was just, um, just not great. But since then, 
we've picked up the pace a little bit. We've gone away to Southampton, a team that have been very difficult for Arsenal, very problematic um, over the years. And Ralph Hassenhussel is a great coach. I remember writing about him as a potential successor to Arsene Wenger once upon a time. Um, I think the, you know, the result of the weekend showed how dangerous they could be, you know, beating Manchester City 1-0 with an absolute screamer um, of a goal. Uh, so going away with this team felt, you know, it, it felt like a, a, a big result. And going away to Sheffield United, like say what you will about what you think Sheffield United are as a club at the moment, but they're a team that's been sitting above us in the table for quite a stretch this season. Chris Wilder has done a brilliant job uh, up there. You know, he's, he's bought well. He's got a, a, you know, a very clear vision and his players know how to activate against what he's asking. So to, to beat Sheffield United, regardless of, of how lucky you felt, um, we were was was great news, and then you know the the real test and the you know because I, I don't think Norwich at home was a test, even though they took Manchester United to 118 minutes in the FA Cup um, the weekend before. The real test was Wolves. The reason that I thought um, that game was so impressive is because Wolves are exactly the sort of team over the last 10 years that we just have problems against. Not, you know, that, that's not beating Manchester United. That's not beating Manchester City or Liverpool. It's beating a team of, of very capable individuals, but a, like a, a brilliant team that just lets you have the ball. They wait for you to make a mistake and then they kill you. And we've fallen for it over and over again. And I just thought the way we set up, the the substitutions we made, the way that everybody showed up um, on the day, I just thought it was really impressive because how many Arsenal fans genuinely thought we were going to go away to that Wolves team having the season that they're having? How many genuinely thought that we were going to beat them? Manchester City have lost twice to them. This season, you know, it's not, it's not like, uh, it's not like Arteta, um, had the winning formula when he was, uh, when he was at City. Uh, so to, to, to go there and to activate a smart plan, which appeared to be, um, don't make any mistakes and only take risks on high probability balls. Um, if you're going to go for it in attack, it paid off. I mean, Wolves sat back. Um, they thought that we'd make a mistake. They crowd, crowded out our center midfield, like nullified Ceballos and Jacker. Um, I think it's, uh, the U, the You Are My Arsenal blog did a brilliant tactical analysis. I think they, they called it like a, polygon defense mechanism. I don't really understand um, the details of the tactics, but from what I saw, it seemed like they were crowding out the central midfield and, you know, forcing us out wide to make mistakes. There was a plan in place um, for that. And arguably they didn't really have that many great chances. I mean, two for Traore, one after a Mustafi brain fart in the first minute, and then another um, from a midfield error where really Traore should have done better or at least hit the target, but he didn't on this particular occasion. We had the better chances in the first half. I thought uh, Aubameyang went close from a corner. Um, Eddie Nketiah forced a brilliant save from um, Patricio. And then we eventually took the lead uh, Kieran Tierney crossing a ball into the box, Bakayo Saka and timing his run perfectly to pick up a slight deflection. And, um, you know, 
the, he turned it into the net like a pro. And uh, what I loved about that goal is that he wasn't having the best game. He was kind of being marginalised a little bit on the right, but you know he, sh- he showed up, scored his first league goal, and that was great. Second half, Wolves came back into the game. They started to play a bit more football, caused a few more problems. Um, we're not great for the full ninety minutes. Um, I-, I think that that's going to come with time, but we weathered the storm. Everybody put in a shift, and again, like the second half wasn't exactly littered with guilt edge chances for Wolves. I think when we went with the when we when we invited Wolves um back in the back in the Emirates days when fans were in the stadium, they had something like twenty one shots and we squeezed out a one one draw. Um it wasn't a pleasant encounter. And it was different this time. Uh, I also thought that in-game management was much better. I, I, I think it's, I think some of the criticism about in-game management has been so over the top. Of course, Arteta's in-game management isn't going to be world-class from the off. He hasn't done a lot of it, but the, the fact that he's improving, he's learning from his mistakes and, you know, his substitutes again proved pivotal. The first time, um, an odd sub taking off. And Tierney and putting on uh, Ainsley to deal with Triori. I mean, imagine being asked to do that, uh, 22 years old, uh, an incredibly difficult task, but he jumped it and he was an absolute powerhouse. His acceleration over five meters is, is incredible to watch. And he nullified the threat of Triore and then bringing on Joe Willock to run uh, their defense. Um, and, and bring the game to Wolves and Lacazette to offer a little bit more sharpness up front. Paid off. Joe Willock passes to Lacazette. Lacazette takes a touch, bangs it across goal. And, and there we were. And, and that's not to mention uh, a couple of other um, close chances. I mean, Willock um, having a shot cleared off the line. So overall, like you, you, you can't complain. You're not going to go to Molyneux and have the full 90 minutes to yourself, especially not with the squad that we've got at the moment. But what I love about um, this moment in time is players that we thought were uncoachable are maybe not that uncoachable because we're starting to see um, results where it matters. I mean, the Daily Cannon did a little roundup of um, Emery um, Emery versus Arteta. Um, Emery playing one more game than Arteta in the Premier League. But the goal difference is staggering. Um, plus 12 versus uh, minus four. So we've gone from conceding 1.64 goals a game to 0.81 with basically the same group of players. And I'd argue under worse circumstances. Um, I, I think the, I, I, like, I don't think the, the lockdown really worked well for Arsenal. I think we, there was a lot of solid momentum um, before the break and, you know, we didn't have so many contractual challenges and we could have people in the stadium. So I'm, I'm, I'm impressed with the, with the job that he's doing. If you, if you want to get into more details, um, the XG league table has Arsenal um, in fourth position since Arteta got in the dugout, um, which I'm in, which I'm counting as the Bournemouth game. And if you just looked at the the normal Premier League table, um, we'd also be fourth based on um, on on those fifteen games. So uh, you, you can't argue that we were looking like a club that people were genuinely fearful that 
you know, there was the potential that we might get relegated. Uh, and, you know, that definitely crossed my mind um, on a, on a few occasions, um, especially during the dark days, but we're, we're out of it. I, I think that we've got good defensive structure. I think the players um, seem very bought in and, I, I just see progress ahead for Arsenal. I mean, if, if Arteta can get a turn out of players that we all thought were good for glue, imagine what he's going to do when he actually gets some names into the squad that we really believe in. So um, I, I think got the football in front, I mean, we've got two massive games this week. I mean, playing Leicester, I mean, maybe you're listening to this after the result, but if we can get four points out of Leicester and Spurs this week, um, I'm not really fussed about Europe, even though I should be, but it, it, it would, it would be a statement because, you know, we, we'd be expected to lose against Leicester earlier on in the season. I mean, it's always a, a toss of the coin against Spurs, but, uh, you know, I fancy Arsenal after watching. Spurs v Everton and some of uh, the, the other games under um, Mourinho. I'm not sure that I'm not sure that he's really got a grip on the camp. Larice fighting with Son was was interesting to watch. Listening to Mourinho say that he knew his side weren't going to be able to see off Sheffield United. Same old games with Mourinho. Same old games. But, um, you know, let's focus. Let's focus on Arsenal. I feel like there's a lot of good going on. I feel like. Um, I feel like the fan base is largely united around Arteta. I mean, four four wins in a row and, you know, beating a team above you in the league table for the first time in five years. We'll do that to you. I mean, you know that two losses in a row and we'll be back to um, complaining that we've got a novice in the dugout. But so far, it looks like the ambition to hire a young coach with a very high ceiling um it it looks like it's the it looks like it was the it it was the right move i mean i i've seen enough so far i mean arsene wenger couldn't fix a defense in 10 years um unai emery couldn't fix a defense in 18 months arteta has given structure um and confidence to arsenal like the movement of the ball is brilliant. You don't see the massive gaps in midfield anymore. And sure, look, you see the individual errors, but I don't think you're going to be able to to get rid of that um, at the drop of a hat. I think that that comes with you know probably hiring in better players, but it's better. It feels more comfortable, and you you don't you don't feel that panic um, going into games that you used to. So. That's the game front. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm still very excited. I'm still a hundred percent confident in, uh, it, you know, in the process that everybody talks about. And uh, I think that it's going to be a very interesting few years. And I'm, I, I'm hoping that we, that we just go from strength to strength on, um, on additional news. Uh, the the big story doing the rounds yesterday um you know there are there are two clouds over the club at the moment on the player front and um one is Meza Ozil I don't think we need to keep on going over this I think the 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 reality is we're going to have to do uh, a Mkhitaryan like deal with Ozil if he still isn't putting in a shift He's still got a sore back week in, week out. I mean, it's it's so clear 
that he's not committed. And the frustration with a player like Meza Ozil was you know what he can bring, but he hasn't been bringing it for two years. I mean, what's his return rate on assists? How many key passes a game is he making now? He doesn't care. He's 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 a player that should be at the peak of his game right now, like Santi Cazorla, um, Villarreal. But he's not, and he doesn't want to put in the effort. And I'm glad that now there is a consistent approach to dealing with him because it's gone on too long. Didn't work. He didn't work under Emery. He didn't work under Freddie Lundberg. He wasn't, you know, Wenger wasn't really paying much attention to him by the end of his career. But, uh, you know, we are not in great shape with one of the best playmakers of all time in our squad. So let's cut a deal because we can't have another season of him just sitting on the bench. I don't think. And then, uh, you know, the the latest problem child. I'm not a problem child if you've been listening. To, you know, this isn't new news. The Gwendozi news is not new news to you if you've been listening to the podcast over the last um, six or seven months. But it's uh, it's, it's come to it's come to a, a you know a massive a massive line in the sand or a crash or I don't know how you want to describe it. But um, Gwendozi is now training on his own. And it's it's sparked another debate, and I, I think the you know it, it's unfair. Like Arteta has come in, and he said there are um, a set of principles that you need to stick by. There are a set of non-negotiables that you can't break, and if you break those non-negotiables, you don't play. And let me let's just get this straight: Gwendozi isn't not playing because he called a Brighton player a peasant. I really don't think that there are rules and regulations about what you can say to opposition players. You know, that, you know, what, what goes on in the ring stays in the ring. But I do think, um, I, you know, I do think the, the reality is that he's been problematic. You know, uh, there's lots of stories about how he behaved under, um, Freddie Lundberg and he already had a blow up, two blow ups in Dubai. And, you know, the things that I hear back from, you know, about Mateo aren't great. You know, he doesn't treat the staff very well and he's a disruptive figure and that's why he's training on his own. This idea that he's a, because he's a tough guy, because he just loves playing football too much, it's such a load of bollocks. It is such a load of bollocks. It's an attitude problem and it might rub, um, work out okay under Simeone, you know, he might be able to, uh, you know, be a good player out of Gwendozi. That might work, but in a situation where the culture, the winning culture is completely gone, you need everybody to be pulling in the same direction. You can't have one rule for Mateo and one rule for all the other kids who are like, let's be honest, um, you know, players like Martinelli and Saka are massively outperforming Gwendozi. You, know, you can show me a chart of how far he carries the ball. Great, but it's, you know, we're not getting world-class performances out of Mateo at the moment. We're not getting disciplined performances out of him. And if you've got a bad attitude on top of that, per- perhaps, you know, the reason, that, perhaps that's the reason that he's not playing. It's not, it's not because he, he, he loves the club too much. And this, this, you know, this idea that you can be a bad boy in, uh, you know, elite level sport now just doesn't, just doesn't rub with me. You know, the reason Cristiano Ronaldo 
and uh, Lionel Messi are at the top of the game is because they've got a world-class attitude. Sure, you know, you might have to have different ways of approaching them. You know, some players need a lot of attention, some players don't, but never, uh, you know, you know, you never have people just being unpleasant and uh, difficult and disruptive uh, and, you know, all of the other things that, that go with, you know, players that have these problems. So I think that if, if Arteta isn't getting what he needs out of him, then, you know, let's move him on. And actually, I actually think it could work out in Arsenal's favour. You know, maybe the fact that, you know, there wasn't going to be much money swilling about at the club before, not a lot of room to manoeuvre, but if you're, if we're going to keep um, Obama Yang on and bring funds back into the club through selling on a young player, I mean that's that's kind of exactly what the point of Sven Mislintat was, you know, bringing young players, the you know bring bring in a player for eight million and then you know use them as a make weight in a forty million deal. That's that's great business and that's what we should be doing. And uh, I, I I expect that we'll do that with players that we love that are performing at some point. And it will hurt, but when you're getting back to the top, you have to be uh, a selling club to a certain degree because you've got to keep um, the, the the dollars and pound notes coming through the door. So if if we can swap Mateo for Thomas Parte, what a great deal that would be. Um, Atletico save face and. Arsenal get a really experienced player that we need at the club. And I think that that will work out well for everybody. And look, Mateo is going to be a great player if he gets put under the right coach. But I just don't think the environment's right for him at the moment. I don't think there's enough structure. Not not structure. I don't think there's enough like world-class infrastructure around him. You know, like if you go to Atletico, who've won trophies, who are well-oiled machine, lots of nasty, beastly players, he starts to look, a bit more like a wallflower. Maybe he doesn't um, in Arsenal's dressing room at the moment. And that's fine. But I think that we've just got to be honest and not be too critical. You know, if, 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 a, if another manager has come in and is still having problems and he had problems at Lorient, maybe it's the player, you know, in fact, it is the player. You know, it's definitely it's definitely not a, a not an ego thing uh, for the Arsenal coaching staff. And so, yeah, Thomas Party for Gwendozi, I would take that. And I think that, um, you know, Meza Ozil, if we can do a deal with him, brilliant. And I, I think that that kind of moves on to um, an interesting, uh, an interesting thing that's kind of gone undiscussed. Um, Arsenal appointed uh, Tim Lewis to, um, as a non-executive um director of Arsenal Holdings Football Club. Um, Tim is a very interesting hire. Now, I don't want to be, you know, pulling too many clues together here and creating a story that doesn't exist, but it is an interesting move. So I I think Tim Lewis was, he was either involved in um, the stadium move or he was involved in the, in the purchase of Arsenal. So he's a, he's a lawyer that is trusted by the Cronky family. Um, You've got to remember the Cronky family are not Londoners. They probably don't know many people um, in Europe that they can, you know, take at their word and i think that this is uh th- this is an interesting story um to come out of arsenal especially given some of the bad press that's been coming from you know the world of bloggers um 
I've been writing quite a lot about Raul and and how he operates and how Edu seems to be, you know, very much of the same mindset as him. Um, the Guardian wrote a pretty scathing story about how Arsenal were perceived. You know that that story was very well sourced from people within the club. And then you've got the Amy Lawrence story where she was talking about the David Luiz deal for twenty four million pounds um, for one year and. You know, it's, Kia said that there was legal action coming, but I have not seen um, a retraction on that story in my app. And I suspect that's because Amy Lawrence is more believable than um, than Kia. But, you know, we'll see it come out on the wash if it does. But the the interesting move is the Raul seems to have been doing a great job at reducing oversight. You know, we've seen um, Lord Peckham go, we've seen Sir Chips go, and we've seen a a, a move to get um, David O'Leary on the board blocked, and we've seen Raul bring in a technical director who came from a super agent that he seems to like. So Tim Lewis is interesting to me because he's a partner at a law firm, not just any law firm, kind of the law firm, Clifford Chance. Like that is a, that is a big name. And, uh, you know, to, to, to bring that sort of expertise to the club, um, considering all of the noise, um, that's going on at the moment is interesting. Secondly, uh, he says that he's looking for, I am looking forward to the opportunity to work with Stan Josh, uh, the board and the executive team to help take the club forward in this critical time. So he's, obviously important to what's going on. This isn't just a, um, you know, a, a bells and whistles hire. He's there to do something. And my hope is that it's scrutiny of the deals because, and look, I'm not saying anything illegal is going on at Arsenal. I would, I would never suggest that on any level. So don't, you know, I'm, I'm saying that everything is above board. But what I am saying is that that doesn't mean that it's right or correct. Um, I don't believe in super agents. I think they take a lot of money out of the club um, without delivering a lot of value. And I think the way Arsenal do business is, I think it would set alarm bells going at any organization. Like, you know, if, if, if you were working in business now and you were, you know, I'm going to make a decision based on contacts, not on data, you'd be laughed out the, you know, most boardrooms. Um, I think, uh, the fact that we lean heavily on people that give us shitty, shitty advice. I mean, let's be honest, Canales getting Emory in, um, like how, how that, that went down, I, I don't understand, but the, having somebody to give a little bit of scrutiny and to ask probing lawyer-like questions feels like that that's a positive. And it being somebody that the Cronky family trust also, I don't know, it, it, that reads ominous, ominously to me. If I was Raul and I saw that move, I would be, you know, I, I would be checking my paperwork to make sure that everything ladders up and that everything is justifiable and that all the decisions that were being made you know, could be uh, explained in some way because 24, if 24 million pounds for David Luiz is the deal that we did, I would ask, when did you know that Koscielny wanted to leave? And then 
how did we land on David Luiz? That would be my question. I would, I would want to, that, that, that looks like, uh, that, that, that doesn't look, it looks like technical director negligence. Um, especially when, you know, you could assign somebody like a Kanji who's 23 years old at the time, uh, and would have resale value. And that's not to say that I don't think David Luiz is now, uh, you know, he's valuable, but he's not 24 million pounds valuable. He's not going to be valuable in two years time. So why did we spend that much money when it was clear we didn't have a lot of money to start with? So the other, and, and the key thing with Tim Lewis is Tim, a lifelong Arsenal fan. So if Tim is a, 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 a lifelong Arsenal fan, he works in, uh, you know, a, a white collar job and he is an obsessive like me or you, my hope is that he does read the blogs. And my hope is that he is weirdly obsessed about sport and football and the inner workings of the game. And my hope is that he's pretty fucking knowledgeable about what goes on um, at a football club because having um, a lawyer on the board mean doesn't mean as much as having a fan on the board, somebody that wants to see us do well, somebody that's there because they want to make an impact on Arsenal being better moving forward. And that's why I'm excited about um, Tim Lewis. I think that well, I'm hoping that it's um, there's a reason that he's there. And I hope it is to ask difficult questions and to make sure that if we're doing things and making decisions, they're decisions based on um, defensible things. So I thought that was a, I thought that that was a pretty exciting move. So um, we'll see how it pans out because look, this, this summer um, has to be good. Right. Uh, if, if, if we want to, let's, let's, let's have a blank slate with Edu and Raul. I'm sure they'll be very glad that I'm giving them blank slate. Um, but let's give them a blank slate and let's say the deals that we did in January were out of necessity. Let's say the people that we signed to new deals two weeks ago were out of necessity to get us through this season. We cannot be seeing signings like the ones that we've been making um, based on super agent contacts this summer. We cannot be getting rid of Meza Ozil on 350 grand a week and bringing in Coutinho to take his place. That That is an absolute no. We have to make good signings. I want to see um, Tierney and Saliba, who came from Mislintat. I want to see Martinelli's, who came from... Uh, Kajagayo. I, I absolutely butchered that. I want to see uh, us go after young players. We've got a lot of exciting young players. Yeah, Saka and Martinelli signed on to Arsenal. You know why they signed on to Arsenal? Because they believe in the project. They believe that they're going to be better players out the back end of it. And that's exciting. And that is the sort of messaging that gets around, uh, gets around world football right? Come to Arsenal, you get made better, you go on to greater things. I don't think that Saka and Martinelli signed on because of money. I think they signed on because they believe in the project. So we should go and add more Martinelli and Saka-like players from around Europe. Find players with two seasons under their belt that have played 60, 70 games 
and catch them at the end of their deal and start stocking up like Dortmund do. Then when we sign experienced players, because you're going to need an experienced spine, let's make, let's bring in players like Thomas Partey. Let's, let's bring in a centre-back like Upper Meccano, like game-changing figures so that our experienced players stop being like the dregs, like, you know, Socrates, stop being the Licksteiner sort of players. And we bring in players that can make an immediate impact. So we take a chance on, you know, young talent from around Europe, then make sure that we upweigh our, um, our serious players and then start getting rid of the dross that's never going to move on. And if that's holding, I'm sad about it. If Hector Bellerin is being shifted out because Suarez and Maitland-Niles are the future, let's let's just do it. Let's maximize our budget. Let's do some amazing swap deals like Lacazette. I mean, he might not be right for the, the Premier League at the moment. He might have slumped in form, but that's a goal scorer. Put him in League, League One, he's going to do something. Put him in La Liga, he's going to do something. Italy, they'll eat up a player like that. And let's go out and let's sign a, a modern number eight. Let's go out and sign a great centre-back. Let's upgrade everywhere and go for players with high ceilings that have resale value. So in two years' time, maybe we can sell a player for 70 million. We can keep greasing the wheel. Now, Liverpool haven't sold any, haven't had a summer in the last five years where they've sold less than 37 million pounds worth of talent. Arsenal had two summers where they, they they were sub 10 million. Like if you're not constantly selling players, you can, you, you know, you can't, bring in new players and you know sadly we're in a situation now where it's going to be a real struggle to raise cash especially in a pandemic but that doesn't mean that we can't change and this summer is the opportunity for Edu to fucking grow some balls step out of the shadow of Raul Signelli and do something amazing with Arsenal like take the opportunity um, and, and and make some magic happen uh, because there's there's a there's a great coach there there's a brilliant there's a brilliant backroom team that they're building there's great analysts you know there's 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 great medical people like the infrastructure at Arsenal is solid and it'll probably get better as people leave this summer um we've got a lot of young players brilliant young players we've got one of the best strikers in the world if we do if we do a madness this summer and make it happen Next season, we might compete for the top four. We should compete for the top four. It's going to be difficult. Everton are going to spend money with Carlo Ancelotti, a great manager. Jose Mourinho, top four expert. I'm sure that Spurs will get better. Uh, City are going to add. Liverpool are going to add. Chelsea have already started adding. Man United will spend 200 million like they always do. We have to get this summer right because if we don't, we're going to go right back to mediocrity. We're going to waste a generation of exciting talent and we're going to, you know, we're not going to support a a manager that is looking like he could be the real deal. So I'm excited. Um, I think the, I think the, I think we've got a lot of positives that we can work with, but we really, really need to have a good summer. Uh, So the signing of Tim Lewis is good. Um, hopefully the focus being on Raul, um, is, is, is going to be a positive and maybe he'll start doing things properly. And hopefully we can have two good games because if you're listening to this after we've just lost Spurs and Leicester, you're probably thinking I'm an absolute lunatic and I don't want that. 
So that's my podcast uh, for today. I will probably be bringing some guests into the next one, but thank you for listening. And uh, yeah, ciao for now. Enjoy the game. Thanks, guys. Bye. If you love to be remembered as the person who gives the best birthday gifts, I'm here to tell you that 1-800-Flowers.com is your ultimate birthday gifting destination. 1-800-Flowers has thoughtful and artfully created options that are guaranteed to deliver the best birthday surprise. Shop thousands of unique gifts at 1-800-Flowers.com for exclusive offers and great values. To order today, visit 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Sports Social Podcast Network.